What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is Awesome Hazelnuts here as always. And do check out my Twitch stream for more Legends of Runeterra related content. And with that out of the way, we look at today's title. It is titled Creativity in Legends of Runeterra. Why net decking always trumps deck building every single time. And before I get into it, Let's talk about my experience of Runeterra this week. I started from 18 LP and I climbed all the way up to 190 LP before dropping to 166, which was kind of unfortunate because I'm trying to reach 200 LP by the end of this week, and then eventually for next week I'll try to climb to 300 or even 400 LP so that I'll get a favorable uh, LP range when I go into next seasonals. But of course, getting to a favorable LP range might not necessarily be something in which... uh really helps much because when it comes to tournaments, I really have to play more tournaments to each, to eventually get a firm grasp of the tournament meta and all that. Because we all know that competitive play is very different from playing in a, from playing on the ladder. Because when it comes to ladder, it's mostly best of ones. When it comes to competitive play, you really have to get through the banning, bringing the certain amount of decks because what works on the ladder might not necessarily work during competitive play. There are certain decks that you can create on the fly which will give you a much better time when you are facing against certain ladder decks. Like for example, there was a player who brought a bunch of aggro decks, I mean overwhelmed decks, against a sea of those antagonist decks, those decks which go into the late game. Because when it comes to overwhelm, it's, com- it's the kind of damage where it pierces through the, the life total, and then eventually it just closes out the game. Stat line of overwhelmed creatures are incredibly huge, such as right now we have Renekton, we have the... Uh, I can't remember what's that card called. It's the 5 mana 6-4 with Spell Shrew and Overwhelm. That's a very big thing when it comes to running all these uh, Shurima decks. Because when it looks to me, when it comes to Rija Identity, Shurima looks like a deck which contains a lot of Overwhelm cards. Not necessarily a lot of buffs. The Rija Identity of Shurima looks to be very, very akin to Indiana Jones and Explorers and all that. If you think about it, because you're, you're trying to discover new treasures. And speaking of treasures, I believe that the... Uh, fleeting copy of Lucky Find is very underrated. I'm actually a big fan of Inner Sanctum, get, Inner Sanctum getting buffed, like I mentioned in my previous episode, where I like to see Inner Sanctum and all this Lucky Find getting buffed, because as of now, it's really hard to pair up or to actually make it work, because you need to count on you having a creature on board and then casting Lucky Find on the creature that you have in order for you to actually make use of the buffs. But I believe that if they nerf of the or if they buff it to a certain point, it might actually be too strong. If you get what I mean. And so let's talk about the other thing which I just experienced. It was me casting my first tournament. In fact, I just casted my first tournament, which was the Dragon Summit for 21st March. It was an experience or something in which I've planned for for a very long time. I've always wanted to try out casting for a while. And finally I did. Which was something which I, I really planned for a long time because I always like to try out new things. Like I mentioned in the past where I started creating content at a very young age of 15, started writing articles, eventually I moved on to interviewing different people on a different blog, which I did during my college days. And then now I moved on to creating a podcast and then streaming regularly. When I was streaming in the past, I didn't really have a regular schedule. It was mostly me just streaming sporadically. When I feel like it, I just turn on my camera and start streaming. The games that I played were very random. They can range from Pokemon all the way to Zelda, all the way to Hearthstone. 
there was no set game which I was streaming. I didn't really have a clear-cut strategy of what I wanted to achieve through live streaming. It was actually last year when COVID-19 hit, it was where actually things started to slow down because before COVID-19 hit, things were actually accelerating for me. I was actually moving to, um, I was moving in places in terms of my career, which I started uh, as a software engineer. I was actually moving up in terms of ranking, in terms of a lot of things that I was accomplishing at a very incredible fast rate. I did, me- I did remember mentioning that I was actually supposed to move to the United States at the end of 2020. But the thing was that COVID-19 hit and I couldn't make the, the trip to US for the next step of my career. And so I was settled down in Singapore, which is my home state if you guys are not aware I'm from Singapore. I've been here for the past one year now, ever since COVID-19 news hit. Cannot, cannot travel, cannot do anything. And so the next best thing was that I looked in the mirror, I started to think about the things that I really wanted to do in life, what have I been missing, and then I saw that there's a brand new game which my friend talked to me about, which is Legends of Runeterra. I thought about it, since I have no plans of moving overseas for the next possibly two to three years, next probably the next four years, you know what, why not I just play this game and try out different things. So I tried out Legends of Runeterra, I enjoyed it. I wanted to write content regarding it, but then when I look about it, when you, write some, when you write content, it's kind of something which... I did it before, anyone can do it. When it comes to podcasting, it is something which I've planned for a while. And so I've been watching Joe Rogan and all that, and it gave me inspiration to start my own podcast. I actually had a lot of qualms regarding it, meaning that uh, I wasn't confident that people was going to watch or listen to my podcast. And so I actually helped hold on off of it, started playing Runeterra around March last year, which is one year now. And then I played in April, May. And then in at around the end of May, I started to think to myself, you know what, if I'm ever going to start a podcast, I might as well just start it now. Because the more I think, the more I sit around, the more I just fantasize about starting my own podcast, it will eventually never start. And so I told myself, you know what, I got to do it, man. If I don't start it now, I'll probably never start it. And so I took the leap of faith. I signed up my podcast on Buzzsprouts. I bought myself a Blue Yeti microphone. And then I took out my notebook, started theory crafting all the episodes I want. And here it is, my podcast. I know that in terms of marketing and all that, I've not really been pushing it on the subreddits. But if you guys really enjoy my podcast episodes, you can actually share it on the Legislature Terra subreddit. You can share it on LR Competitive. Because for me, I don't really like to publicize my stuff like that. I really like organic word of mouth that means somebody telling another person that my podcast is really good because as of now for this podcast I do have goals for it but it's mainly used for me to sharpen up my conversational skills my communication skills if you're wondering why there are no guests yet it's something which I plan to during the second year of this podcast this podcast is about to reach one year old when it turns March no I mean when it turns June sorry and I'm probably going to go do a live format instead of me recording it offline and then okay, recording offline, recording off stream and then uploading it every Sunday, which will schedule around 11pm to go live. Apple Podcasts might be a bit later because of the feeds and all that. And so I started the podcast. But here's the question. I didn't really know whether I wanted to play this game competitive. Because I've already done that for the previous two card games. First being Yu-Gi-Oh. The competitive about Yu-Gi-Oh was that it was something I did not sign up for. It was the natural next step because I was already dominating everyone in my local card shop so i moved on to national level eventually i won the national championship then i went to play international internationally at the asia plus championships of 2012 then i got top four at it 
it was actually a very big accomplishment for me because I got to meet a lot of legends from the day who played Yu-Gi-Oh! A lot of old legends. I'm talking about players who represented their countries who managed to stay at the top of their game for 5, 8, 10 years. Those were crazy players who were actually playing Blue Eyes White Dragon in the past, Thousand Eye Restrict, Chaos Emperor Dragon and all that. And then eventually, I left. I played Hearthstone for a bit. I only had 6 months for Hearthstone. And so I made, the, I made the best use out of it. I didn't really manage to spread my name. I had to use a different IGN, which was Heal Hazelnuts. I managed to accomplish a lot of things within the six months. I played in a couple of tournaments. The main three that I got was, actually, it was quite fruitful. I managed to scrap through everything I did. I was actually managing my Polytechnic final year project along with my internship at the same time. Because I gave myself a time frame to quit the game by November. I started at around April, May. So I got six months to actually get to work. Eventually, I was one game away from the BlizzCon, BlizzCon uh, overall America's playoffs. It's kind of sad. I was playing the Singapore one. I was one game away. Kind of got robbed, but it is what it is. I was actually very... I would say I really mentally prepared myself that I need to go out with a bang. And I managed to do it. At that point, I told myself, I will never be playing another card game. But you know what, guys? Never say never, man. Because I was really prepared to stop playing card games, move on to college, eventually move on to doing other things because I at that point I wanted to start my own business I was actually going to study computer science eventually and then things sort of just fell into place the business didn't really work because I actually planned it during my uh, my national service which is something like a conscription uh, it's mandatory compulsory conscription for all Singaporean males wanted to start a business instead of going to college but that didn't work out so I went to college and then I played artifact a little bit because I was actually thinking of you know what maybe I should Go give it one more go. Give it one more go at card games again. Artifact didn't turn out well. The game sort of flopped and then I was left gameless. And so at that time, I started working as a software engineer. And then things just sort of fell in place. I would say I'm naturally driven to do my own thing. But the problem about me is that I like to keep to myself. I don't really like to talk to people. In terms of networking or that, I can network fine, but I tend to keep to myself. I want to say that I'm more of an introvert extrovert meaning that if you don't talk to me I won't bother with you but if you talk to me I'll make you feel very welcomed and so eventually I managed to achieve a couple of things during my first eight, first year of working as a software engineer I did a lot of stuff a lot of experimentation a lot of proof of concepts eventually I was supposed to move on to US but then things didn't fall in place Runeterra came about started playing it I made a podcast and then eventually I reached out to Moonboy Moonboy actually reached out to me first I didn't really talk to you or interact much because I'm sort of a one-man island or one-man show. I didn't really want to interact too much with the community because if you know me, I really try to avoid a lot of drama because when it comes to communities and all that, there tend to be a lot of infighting and that. And I didn't really want to bother too much about the scene at all. I just want to do my own thing. I want to make my own content, eventually move on from card games and do other things. And then Moonboy got me involved. I got to know the community. Started to interact with a lot of players. And then I asked Moonboy, hey man, I want to cast a tournament. And then he told me, Alright man, I'm going to sign you up for the next Dragon Summit. And by the way, the Dragon Summit is a bi-weekly tournament where the, the best of the best Southeast Asia players will be competing. They select players, they scout them out, and then they invite them. And each country will be represented by with one representative competing every week. And so this tournament has been ongoing for the past month or so. And so far, I think the games were, okay, I will say high level, but... Really, there's not much difference between the games that we play compared with the European, the North American... And all that. So that's one thing you guys have to take a note of. And so I casted my first tournament. It was a really great experience. I casted alongside Hersono. I have not been able to cast alongside 
Mason as of yet, which is Moonboy. And so I look forward to it. And let's talk about enough of the intro and me talking about myself. Let's talk about the main meat of today's podcast, which is creativity. Or, or rather, the lack of creativity. Let's talk about the first part, which is popular streamers. We all know that Swim, Mogwai, Grappler, they are the three big names when it comes to Legends of Runeterra. They command the largest audience. They are very entertaining. They have great voices, great personalities. But of course, when it comes to great personalities, they can get sometimes a bit riled up because, you know, it gets very tiring to face the same decks over and over again. And that's why I say that creativity really is there's a lack of it. Especially right now where information is easily spread with so many forms of medium of information you can get. Twitter, text of Runeterra, Runeterra CCG, LR Mobilitics, players bouncing off ideas on Discord. There's really a lack of need to create new decks because all you gotta do is find out what works and you just play it. And the fact that you can go to the leaderboard and just click on the player's name and retrieve the deck that's working from the rank 1 legend player or the rank 1 master player. Oh my gosh, I call it rank 1 legend. Like, I'm playing Hearthstone. All you gotta do is copy the best deck. You'll most probably get an even win rate, 50-60%, and you're pretty much good to go. And that's the thing. All these players who I mentioned, Swim, Mogwai, and Grappler, these two try to make the game exciting. They try to make it fun for everyone. They create fun decks. They create decks that might work, might not work. I know that Swim himself, he's the creator of a lot of the decks. When it comes to Elusive, if I'm not mistaken, he also created Corona Control. He started Standalone Fiora. He created what is known as the Zoe Fiora deck. In fact, when I think about it, he's the player that really popularized Fiora in the meta. Because apart from him, I don't think a lot of players actually thought through how to make Fiora actually work. Because as of that, Fiora is only the cha- the only champion that has a proper win con. Probably a- there are other cards that also has win con, such as uh, Star Spring and all that. But he's really the player that made Fiora Fiora. And we have to give it to that. He's the ultimate creator of decks. And sometimes when I do tune into his stream, because I wake up very early, so I hop on a bit because when I exercise, I tend to have something playing in the background. And so I'll just hop on the swim. And I'll say he's actually very knowledgeable when it comes to the game. He knows certain card aspects and all that. I, I do know that he doesn't really compete as much as what people think because it's very hard to maintain a stream schedule while competing and all that. And I really think that he can really make things work without competing at this point because he has really has a huge audience. 100,000 plus or almost 200k is no easy feat. And I think Swim is really very good as a player. And there's actually no need for him to prove himself in competitive play anymore, which is something which I'm trying to go towards. But the thing is that, since I'm from Asia, it's really hard for me to reach out to a more broad audience unless I change up my stream schedule. I do need to start winning tournaments to reach the level of swims kind of thing because the the time period in which I was winning tournaments was 10 years ago and no one really bothers too much about Yu-Gi-Oh players anymore. And the next player I'm going to talk about is Mogwai. He's also a player. He likes to make decks work. He creates a lot of the decks, which I don't believe that a lot of players are running, but no doubt, it's really hard to make decks and to even get a 50% win rate. Because like I mentioned, Sui and Mogwai, they are sitting at around a 48.9 and 49.4% win rate respectively, and they are in Diamond 4. I don't think there's a rush for them to hit Masters anytime soon. As I would say, they're actually just chilling, making content, and overall just enjoying the game. But I do know that at some point that Mogwai didn't really enjoy the game. He was actually quite upset about the way the game is. Because initially, when Runeterra just started, it was a great game. But then eventually, more players started to get up. And the fact that Runeterra doesn't really require a lot of upfront payment or monetary kind of a barrier to entry 
a lot of players start playing the game. And naturally, what do you gravi- gravitate towards? Decks that are easy to play. And so players started just to run the easiest deck to play. Cheapest cost, champless burn, you guys remember. And that was about it. And players just sort of just run the cheapest deck, the decks that worked, high win rate, and they could easily get wins. And that means that there was actually no need for players to experiment and make decks. That's why I give you a very good example of this. Back then when you were playing MTG, when you're playing Duel Masters, when you're playing Battle Spirits, Vanguard Hearthstone. No, not even Hearthstone. Let's let's get Hearthstone out of the picture. In the past, players could just easily bounce off ideas themselves. They would just play their own fun decks. They really enjoyed the whole process of the game. And that was the peak of card games, which was physical card games where you can hang out with your friends at the playground, under your block, at your favorite hobby shop, sit down and play card games. Most of the time, the decks that the players make were very unique because you needed to have upfront payment and actually collect cards. And usually, when you collect the card and that booster pack goes out of sale, you are not able to build a certain deck. So that's why you don't see a lot of uh, similar decks among top players last time because they usually just run their own cards. Unless they have their own player circle, they know what works, and all of them have access, have their resources to buy these cards. And so there was a lot of creativity in the past between the top players and the average or the lousier players. I wouldn't call it lousy, it's more like the inexperienced players. They do not have money and so they just build random decks. This is all gone nowadays. There is no longer creativity where you build your own decks, find out what works. Now these players just go to online, they just get the deck list and they just run it. And the fact that Runeterra has a very easy access to a lot of cards means that players can just easily net deck it, spend maybe one week or two, they get all the cards they need, and everybody's playing fifty F all of a sudden. And that's why I say that that's a big reason why creativity is no longer needed, because the cards are easy to get, and there's no upfront payment for Runeterra. That means that necessarily any player can be anyone. And at the rate at the deck at the win rates of the certain decks, like I mentioned, FistyF is 53.6 win rate. It means that even though it's not sitting at 55 or even 58% win rate, any player that plays it eventually will have a decent record, an average win rate of 51% or 52%. And that means that if you're not running FistyF, you're probably going to lose against it, which is given because FistyF is just so amazing. And the next player I want to talk about is Grappler. He's a very entertaining streamer. I, I did take notice of him when he played Artifact in the past. In fact, I used to play against it a lot when he played Artifact. And then he also popularized a couple of decks. He did make the concept, but it was not a refined one. I would say that he's the pioneer of a couple of decks, the first one being Zoe Kama. He created the deck and he played it because it was very entertaining, by the way, when he played the deck. He did talk through his thought process and all that. But eventually, some players just ran the deck and they made it work, made some iterations to it. And when I talk about iterations, it's just adding maybe a couple of different cards, such as Veil Temple, which, just, which released and everything changed forever. Veiled Temple plus Blessings of the Illun really changed the way that the whole way Zoe Kama worked. And the champion of the Southeast Asia region won the entire regional tournament or the seasonal tournament with Zoe Kama with the, with the inclusion of Blessing of Ilun together with Veiled Temple. And the thing is that I know Grappler does have a good time playing the stream, but you can't really master anger and all that when you face against the consistent fist DS and all that. And he, I, I can, from the way I see it, he looks like he's overall great dude enjoying the game, something which I respect a lot because not everybody can keep a straight face while getting pummeled by all these meta decks while he's trying to make the stream enjoyable for everyone. And lastly, this player, a legendary guy who unfortunately has left the game because he got a... Uh, kind of bamboozled out of the seasonal tournament, J01. 
This Zero One really revolutionized the entire way that Runeterra was to be played. He was the typical tryhard, I would say. He's the tryhard that existed, and he's a Korean tryhard. So, okay, Korean and esports really go hand in hand. He's the guy that optimized a lot of the decks. And he's the big reason why the meta is filled with his creations. Or I would say he cre- he didn't really create the concept. He created two concepts, but he refined one. And let's talk about the way that J01 has revolutionized the entire meta. The first deck, Freeze Azrael, or commonly known as Foundry with Puff Caps, or Puff Cap Foundry deck. He is the guy that made this deck popular. The reason being is because the meta was filled with tons and tons of Targon decks. Lee Sin, Lo Zoe Lee, Aso Plaza, Zoe Aphelios, Aphelios Twist of Fate, all sorts of Targon decks. And so he actually took the concept that I believe Alan ZQ played, which was the Foundry Puff Caps. He refined it, removed Sejuani, played Azrael instead, and it became a powerhouse. And the thing was that not just it was a perfect counter to all these control decks, the way he played it was very stellar. He knew the certain lines of play to make, he knows what to drop, he knows when to save enough spell mana, and all that. And the thing is that when players see that if you run a counter and it works against whatever works currently, people are naturally going to gravitate towards it. And that's why there was a reason during a certain period where the meta was just filled with foundry puff caps. He just ran the deck, he just terrorized everyone who was not playing Targon. No, everyone who was playing Targon, he did struggle against certain other matchups, but when it comes to skill-wise, I think he's very skillful when it comes to the game. Eventually, he managed to beat everyone. He claimed number one in Europe and Asia at the same time, which is no easy feat. And when he claimed number one, it's not just number one random number one, it's 2,000 LP, almost 3,000 LP, which was insane. And so because of this, a lot of players started running Freeze Ezreal to counter all these Targon decks, which worked really well. But unfortunately, counters can only go so far, because skill really factors in when it comes to overall landscape of tournaments. And for the seasonal tournament, I doubt there's even a single uh, Freeze Ezreal or Foundry Puff Caps that, that was in a winning lineup. I might be wrong. But then again, this tells you a lot about the state of the meta and the state of Legends of Runeterra. Players do not really innovate, they just emulate what the top players are playing. And this is very common amongst a lot of card games. And and so, the Freeze Ezreal was just the start of everything that, that began the downfall of creativity. And the second deck, which sort of was a mistake of his creation, which has led to the current meta being filled with it almost 99%, which is Feast Twister Fate. I believe this was a deck that he created randomly, didn't expect it to work as well. He just put together Bubble Fish and Twister Fate, adding in the power of iterative improvement. And that's sort of just, wow, the best deck possible. Consistent draws, even though there are decks which can deal with the whiteboard, they couldn't really deal with the fact that Fist Twister Fate could easily just refill the hand again and just go ham. And the threat of my Melt is just so polarizing that a lot of decks can't deal with my Melt, other than Ruination. And my Melt is basically the end game for a lot of decks. And if you do not run Deny or Ruination, it's possibly game from there. You can't come back from that. And even if you Ruination, right, the Fist Twister Fate player can just refill everything on the board because... When you look at the cost of the cards in those decks, they are very cheap. They can just refill everything, play out everything again, and that's GG from there. And ever since he made that deck, and he went, what, 
20 wins, 0 losses. He climbed all the way to, what, 2,000 LP with that deck. Players just played it because it was easy to play, tons of draws, and it was simple. And that's the problem. When you have such a deck which provides everything you need, which is fast games, easy to play, and cheap to make. Two champions, the rest of it are incredibly cheap to, to fulfill. You get a deck which is incredibly stellar. A, a, a very simple archetype. Bubble Fish, Mind Melt, Twister Fate. Pick a card, maybe. But then they put the deck together, consistent draws. Players just... They might not necessarily understand how the deck works, but they know that it wins games. And so they just take the deck and they play it. And G01 has proven it again by making a second deck which popularized the meta. Feast TF, along with Freeze Ezreal. And the final deck, this came after Aphelios was released. I remember when Aphelios was released and a lot of players were thinking, man, Aphelios is pretty broke. You can pair with anything and it sort of works. They are true, they're not, they're not wrong. Aphelios is the one champion which can be paired with almost any region. You put Aphelios in, you get free 2 drops, you get Calibrum, you get Lifesteal, Overwhelm, you get Stun, and then you get the Targon package, Star Shaping, Solari Priestess, maybe even Aso, and most importantly, you get Veil Temple. There was, a run, there was a race to the moon where a lot of players were thinking of what was the best way to make Aphelios work. And so the best way that a lot of players thought of was Aphelios together with Heimer, because random cards, right? And then you get you use your moon weapons, Heimer on the board, you get free stuff. And then players started to run Aphelios with Victor, because you know, you buff Victor, a lot of created cards, you get tons of, you level up Victor very easily through all the moon weapons. Some players tried to pair it together with Riven. There was even talks of Aphelios Lee Sin, which, by the way, is a very strong deck. But it's very clunky and... Okay, no doubt maybe it's better towards late games, all that. And then there was another card which was Resident Sleeper, or a card in which a lot of players didn't really pay attention to. It was with Veil Temple. I remember playing Ezreal Aphelios for a while. A lot of players were not very high on the deck because... Like I mentioned, no one really wants to experiment anymore. People just want options handed to them. They just want the answer. It's just like you look at it, everybody just goes for online shopping instead of going down to the supermarket to get the stuff anymore. Nobody wants to leave the house. Everybody's lazy. Nobody wants to cook their own food. They just order things out. And that's the same thing when it comes to Legends of Runeterra. People just want easy answers. They just want solutions handed to them. It's a lot that ties in together with the snowflake generation and all that. Nobody wants to lose. So nobody experiments. They just copy... The best deck possible. And so J01 came back with his third creation, Aphelios Twister Fate. Putting together the engine of Mind Melt, Twister Fate, Pick a Card, and Bubble Fish, together with the support package of Aphelios, Field Temple, Sunblast Vigor, all that. And then you got a tier 1 deck. It was an unbeatable deck, which was two weeks before the seasonal tournament, which was the starting of my downfall because I didn't experiment with Aphelios Twister Fate. And a lot of players played the deck, they realized, wow, this was actually a deck which has possibly no counters. Maybe apart from Foundry buff caps, which a lot of players did not run, but it was a thorn on the side for those players who run that deck. And they put the deck together, and it worked. J01 piloted it to very high success. Players were actually monitoring what J01 was doing. They tried to see what type of decks he created. And so they just copied the deck that he made, a Fiddle Twister Fate. And it worked. Box Tuppers was the premier package paired together with Bridgewater because you can get easily a 2-mana three, 3-4 three, with Crescendum, Challenger, easily dominating the early mid-game. 
and then we revealed temple buff. Each time you play a moon weapon, you are going to refund two mana. And then players started to become more and more creative, playing Veiled Temple in Zoe Karma, playing it in ASO, playing it in a lot of variations of decks, even playing it in uh, some form of Fiora with Temple. And then the whole meta sort of just shifted towards Aphelios paired together with Veiled Temple. But no matter how many players try to innovate, create decks that sort of works out, doesn't work, everything just falls back to the three pillars which I just mentioned, Feast Twister Fate, Aphelios Twister Fate, and Freeze Ezreal. And then Aphelios Twister Fate became the most playable deck, or the most played deck during the seasonals, which I believe, because it's a deck where if you misplay it, there's still a chance of you coming back because of the way the deck functions. You have a lot of forgiving cards. Aphelios can destroy, can summon, can lifesteal, can stun. Twister Fate can draw, can stun, can get, basically get what I mean. So it was the perfect deck, and players did not innovate past that point. They just copied the deck and they piloted it to perfection. Eventually, most of them, most of that deck being in the tournament winning lineup. In fact, every single J0 deck was in the tournament winning lineup, possibly, because Fist TF is represented across a lot of the champions lineup, along with a few Swiss to fate. So J01 on its own created three decks, which possibly defined the meta for the past four months. And I believe that, the, apart from that, the only other player to have actually done that was Swim, which was a discard aggro, champless burn, elusive, and I think he made a lot of various other decks. I know BBG also had a part to play with it, but he's more of a Demacia player. He created Lux Karma, I believe, and they then only managed to remain relevant for two weeks in one month because Riot was so quick to nerf Grizzard Ranger, Karma, and all that, making it uh, a shadow of his former self. But no doubt, Karma Lux still remains a good deck. And here's the thing. What happens after all these tier 1 decks are made? So what happens? Players just play it, they don't innovate, they just copy and no longer they create their own decks. In fact, deck creating is so limited nowadays because of existing archetypes that work. People just need to change one or two cards and the deck just sort of work. And so there's really no need to be creative anymore. Well, you can be creative and have a one-off victory, flash in the pan, lightning doesn't strike the same spot twice. And so it's rather better for you to just play existing meta decks instead of trying to be funny and create your own decks. I did try to do that and I failed miserably during seasonals. I played my own lineup and it didn't really work out because of the overwhelming and me being a bit, yeah, I should have just ran something which just works. And so that this thing, I do know that there are other decks which sort of work. We all know about complex decks such as those leasing decks, such as ASO decks, such as uh, Invoke Atrocity and all that. These three decks require skill to play. One wrong move and you just lose the game. You invoke the wrong thing and you just lose the game. And that's why I say, this is the problem with complex, the complex decks, such as, I forget to mention Zoe Karma as well. You run complex decks and they require a lot of perfection to master the kind of plays that you need to win the game. And when it comes to mastery of decks, you require one constant element, which is time. A lot of players are not willing to put in the time to learn a lot of the new decks that are available. They're not willing to learn how the different card works. They just want to win the game. And so, the initial part of picking up a Lee Sin deck deters or defers most players from actually trying to master the deck. The ones who master the deck eventually can win a lot of games with it. ASO is the same thing as well, because dropping ASO on a naked board sometimes can prove to be an undoing. There's a certain time to drop it, certain time to maintain the board pressure with all the, the master spells. And then as for Zoe Karma, you need to be very disciplined to keep up mana for D9 and having Karma to do the unlimited spells and all that. Basically, the three decks that I mentioned have no bad matchup apart from Freeze Ezreal. 
But Fizz Azure is not played as much due to Lissandra Trundle. And now when I think about it, when people cannot stand losing, what do they do next? Of course, they just play what works. They just run Twisted Fate decks. Because when you think about it, a lot of decks lose to aggro, but a lot of decks also lose to Twisted Fate's red card. And the thing is that, like I mentioned, creating new decks really takes a lot of time. And due to the fact that players have really short attention span, they are really they don't really know how to have they don't have patience. They can't take losses. They lose once, they just don't feel like playing the game, they just man, I just give up. That kind of mindset is not really good when it comes to games. Okay, I know maybe you fail in games, whatever, in real life might be good. But what they say is that what how you do something, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so this kind of behavior is not common, or it's very common amongst all these players or youngsters nowadays. And so nobody will ever create decks. People will never come close. And that's why champions in the past were really respected, because most of the time they pilot decks that they made themselves. They actually thought through combos, they theory crafted, and things sort of worked. As in for myself, if you watch my stream, I, I rarely or barely even play meta decks. Even if I played Lissandra Trundle, it's always the Frail Lord with Ionia version. It was never the Shadow Owls one. I always played, now I'm playing Fiora with Zoe and Aesol. I know it's not a popular deck, but I like playing these style of decks because it's actually quite entertaining to watch and every single game has a different outcome. I don't run Feast TF. Very seldom I play a Fiddle's Twister Fate unless I'm really grinding off stream. And I really don't enjoy playing meta decks unless there's a need for it, such as tournaments and all that. But that's very rare. And so that's why I say that when it comes to this, the conclusion I can make from all of this is that the pain threshold of the new players they have very low pain threshold, meaning that they can't take losses as well. Because, like I mentioned in a couple of episodes before, if you lose a seasonal tournament, the worst that's going to happen is that you have to wait two more months to participate in the next one. But a long time ago, if you played physical card games, you lose a tournament or you lose a championship, you have to wait a whole year. And players will actually take the time to get to know the game, sit down, refine the meta, refine their decks, refine their skill, refine their line of play to ensure that they are in the best tip-top position for the next tournament or for the next championship. And for now, in the seasonal tournaments, things are being churned out here and there. A lot of players have a very skewed or biased opinions of themselves. Because nowadays, tournaments are rinse and repeat. You just need to sit at home and play tournaments. Anybody can be good at it already. You don't necessarily have to go out. You don't have to stare at the guy face-to-face. You don't have to network with people outside of your own computer screen. Everything is done through a screen. There's no need for human interaction anymore. And that's why I'll say that this one thing which is very underrated, which a lot of players don't know, unless you work in tech or you're a psychology major and all that, you do know about the dopamine loops of video games and how to actually hook the players to keep on playing this game. This is actually a book that I read called Hooked by Nier Imao. Wait, let me whip out the book. Yes, I have the book with me right now. It's actually just behind. It's Hooked by Nir Eyal with Ryan Hoover. So this book is actually a guide on how to build habit-forming products. And so he did cite an example of uh, League of Legends, how they managed to hook people to play the game. So basically, there are four different ways to make people want to play games or actually hook them to playing the games, which is the first one, to have a trigger. The next one is to have action. The third one is the variable reward. And the last one is the investment. So the trigger is... What makes the person want to play the game? Or in this case, what makes the person want to play Legends of Runeterra? And the next step is action. What are the actions needed for the player to play Legends of Runeterra? 
which in this case is just turning on the browser and playing the game. The third one, variable reward. What keeps the player hooked to the game? What makes him want to keep playing the game? And in this case, it's the region rewards, winning the game, climbing up the master ladder. And the final part, investment. How much time or what is needed to be invested so that the player can play the game? In this, in this space, right, you think about it, it's the near-perfect way in which the game is being made or is created or intended to be played, which is easy trigger, which is just clicking and just playing. The action needed, just participating 5-10 minutes a game. Variable reward, which is you gaining LP, which is can be imaginary, especially you try to explain to another person what you're trying to accomplish. And then investment, which is yourself, putting time in the game, putting money, hitting master rank. Because if you don't hit master rank one season, you need to climb from a lower position, which means that eventually, house always wins. And this is how people build habit-forming products nowadays which is to hijack into your dopamine system, which is something like a neocortex in the front of your brain, the frontal lobe. It's something which I research because I'm in tech and I design all these products as well to make people want to use my stuff more. And so there's a lot of things that players are not open to. They're actually, their, their dopamine system or their, their nervous system is actually being hijacked by all these game designers and all that. And the thing is that FizzTF, right, is, is a deck which gives you very good dopamine hits. It makes you want to win, win, win because it feels good to win, right? And then if you run a deck which doesn't work, such as ASO, a lot of players tell me ASO doesn't work. It's because they barely even play it. They keep losing. And so it really makes them feel bad. All the investment that they had just by playing easy games or Fist Twister Fate to give them the LP, all gone. And so what, what feels good? Obviously, simple. I play Fist TF. I get my dopamine, I get my dopamine hits, I get the wins, I get my LP. I can tell my friend I'm ranked 10 right now by playing Fist TF. And so you get what I mean? It's a sort of thing which triggers in your brain. It makes you feel good because if you win, like, you always feel good. And when you lose, you feel bad. And when you feel good by winning, you always keep playing and playing and playing. And so that means that more attention is being paid. You invest more in the game. The action required for you to participate in the game is very little. One click, a few games, press, press, twist the fate, pick a card, la, 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 I win the game. And so that's the thing. People would rather net deck than create decks because they don't want to go through the whole thing of losing. It's not a very wise fool action to take. The reward for building your deck is not much, and the investment is too much. And so when you do a cost-benefit analysis, I'd rather you just net deck a deck. Zero. Zero action needed. High variable reward. Low investment. That is why FizzTF is played so much. People would rather net deck Trondel, Lissandra, and FizzTF to win games and feel accomplished because those decks are simple to play and there's always an outcome, which is you winning the game, through Bubble Fish, My Melt, or The Watcher. Simple to play strategies, and when it comes to a design perspective for Riot, simple. I just nerf a simple card, I just nerf Bubble Fish, I just nerf The Watcher, and nobody plays the deck. So I can shine the spotlight on my next expansion, the brand new shiny object, the brand new BMW series, the brand new Audi car, the brand new Tesla. You basically get what I mean. There's always a brand new kick on the block, and this is a perfect way of balancing games. Of course, when it comes to Ezreal Karma, there was no actual way of nerfing every single card. And so what they did, why not just nerf Ezreal? Why not just nerf Karma? And the whole deck just fall apart. That's why when you look at it, right, it's a very sick but cunning way that Riot has designed the game. Do you think they allow Twister Fate to be in a meta without a plan? Of course not. They want players to put in more time to the game. They don't really care who is ranked 1. All they want to do is, if you're not playing League, you're playing Valorant. If you're not playing Valorant, you're playing Dungeons Runeterra. So what? players do not understand is that their time and everything is being eaten by a game that does not really care about them. 
heck, $10,000 from a season tournament win isn't really going to do much for you. Guys, you have to understand, $10,000 in Legends Runeterra is easily made in Runeterra for one minute based on how many players are actually playing the game. And that's one thing that everybody has to understand. And so my prediction for net decking and all this is that no doubt FizzTF will be eventually replaced, but there will be a brand new kit on the block. And that's why I say, the game is the same, but with different cards. And that's all I have for today's episode of the Desk Games Podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitch. Follow me on Twitter at johanlo. Follow me on Twitch on at awesomehisonuts. And I'll see you guys next week for the next episode. And that's game. Thank you.